bless the name of the Lord. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we'll be glad in it. Amen. I said one more time, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. Amen. We bless the name of the Lord for another day. And we worship him for his glory. He's glorious. He is mighty. He is awesome. There is no other God like our God. Amen. In spite of the battles that we go through in life, I believe you can win and I believe you can overcome. Somebody say amen. 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 There is absolutely no other answer to the challenges of this world apart from Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Amen. He is our all in all. He is everything that we need in this life. Hallelujah. To the extent that knowing what to do in the world we live in today can actually give you an upper hand and, and control somehow. But if you do not know what you have to do, you can get you in some deep trouble. But we bless the name for Jesus. We continue with our series. Today we'll be doing our final part. I think I need to stop here for now. We continue looking at the authority of prayer and faith. The authority of prayer and faith. We have walked on this journey now. I think this is our fourth week. And uh, I think it's enough to kind of come to this point and pray some more this morning and look to what the Lord is going to do. Amen? We have come to the conclusion that the only thing that makes life worth living is faith, is the trust that we have in God. Amen? And that's why I'm saying this morning that there is no other answer to the challenges of this world apart from Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. Hallelujah. To the extent that in spite of all the troubles that we may face in this world, we can win and we can overcome. In the book of Job, chapter 32, I want us to turn there. I'm just going to read two verses, but I'll give a bit of a background to that scripture. I'll read only two verses, but before we read the two verses, I just need to give uh, a bit of a background to that uh, scripture. So, as we know in the book of Job, the Bible clearly tells us that Job was a blameless man. Job was upright. Job feared God and Job shunned evil. And at one time, the devil appears before the Lord and the Lord says, have you seen my servant Job? And uh, then he carries on and God testifies about Job that truly this man was blameless, this man was upright, this man was righteous, this man feared God, and this man shunned evil. And the devil says, do you think he is like this for nothing? And uh, then later on, he says, you do this to him and he's going to turn away from you. And God gives the devil some permission to go to a certain extent to deal with Job's issues. Uh, he loses everything and his health is attacked. After his health is attacked, there are three friends of Job that came to, to see Job. One of them was Eliphaz. And, and Eliphaz, basically his point was that Job was going through what he was going through because Job had sinned. And then he continued to say, because of the sin, therefore God is chastising you. And Job was responding to that 
basically saying that my suffering is comfortless, but also my complaint that I have before the Lord is just. And then Bildad came on board and he says, Job, you need to repent. You need to repent because I think you truly, truly have sinned. So they carried on. And, but then between uh, these three, there was another young man who was in the midst and his name was Elihu. Elihu was young. And because he was young, he decided that he was not going to say anything until at a certain point, as you come to now chapter 38, and uh, allow me to read just a few verses, and then I'll go to the main scripture that we want to, to, to go to. Because I think as things were going on and going on and going on, Elihu eventually spoke. And, uh, and uh, with the time that he spoke, uh, in Job chapter 32, let's go there if, you, if you're not yet there. So, Elihu says in verse 1, So, these three men ceased answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, of the, son of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than Job. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they had found no answer and yet had condemned Job. Now, because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, and uh, we go there. He says, I am young in years, and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid. You know, there are some times when there are older people, you decide that you better keep quiet, let them speak, because at least I think they may have the fountain of wisdom. So Elihu says, and I dared not declare my opinion to you, I said age should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. Now, the scripture that I want us to focus on, he says in verse 8, but there is a spirit in man and the breath of the almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. And I want us to focus on that part uh, we are not going to dwell so much on the issues that he said, but as you continue reading that, there, was quite, there were quite a lot of sensible things that he spoke as you continue reading that. But, but he says there is a spirit in man and the breath of the almighty gives him understanding. Hallelujah. And then he continues and he says, great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. Amen. The word understanding means to have insight. It means to act with prudence and to act with wisdom. So Elihu says there is a spirit in man and this spirit is able to give man insight so that man can be able to act with prudence and also man can be able to act with wisdom and these things are very 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 crucial even as we dwell in prayer and even as we dwell in faith hallelujah so there is a very interesting story of what I'm trying to talk about because we're going to dwell a bit more on understanding this morning and then we'll pray so that we can pray also with understanding. Amen? So, there's a very interesting story in the Bible. And this story comes to us from the days of Israel's monarchy. At this point in time, circumstances were changing in Israel. And David was about to be crowned king of Israel. Saul had just died on Mount Gilboa together with his three sons. And uh, the Benjamites 
the tribe where Saul had come from, part of that tribe had other ideas as far as a successor to the throne was concerned. The other tribes were in favor of David becoming king and even part of the tribe of Benjamin had also agreed that David should become king. I think this man had been tested enough and therefore he was worthy now to become the king of Israel. And they met in Hebron to actually turn over now the kingdom of Saul to David. Obviously, it was a tense moment in Israel at that point, and there was a need for great wisdom to understand the times. Hallelujah. And it's here that we are introduced to what the Bible calls the children of Issachar. And the children of Issachar stepped up. The Bible tells us that they knew what needed to be done and they knew how what needed to be done had to be done. Hallelujah. That's why I said earlier on that knowing what to do can give you an upper hand in life, can give you control in life, and not knowing what to do can actually get you in some deep, deep trouble. So the Bible tells us that the children of Issachar understood the times. So as we go into First Chronicles chapter 12, Let's stand there. First Chronicles chapter 12. And we're going to read verse 32 just for now. And then we'll come back to this uh, later on as we begin to pray. I want, us, I want the Lord to teach us that we can come before him with understanding. So First Chronicles chapter 12. It talks quite a lot of issues there. And then later on, he begins to talk about the, 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 the army of David in, in Hebron. Uh, the beginning of that talks about the growth of the army. So there are quite a few interesting things that are mentioned in there. But then later on, uh, let's go to um, Hebrews, uh, not, not Hebrews, First Chronicles chapter 12. And I'm going to read verse 32 only for now. The Bible says in verse 32, of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were at their command. Hallelujah. What is very, very interesting as we begin to look at all this story is that Every generation, every generation, as you go in Acts chapter 13, verse 36, it actually talks about David. It says, and after David had served his own generation, after he had served his own generation. So you live in a certain generation. Our children, they have their generation. We have our generation. Our parents have their generation. And every generation has got a way that they look at things. But now Elihu has told us something else very, very clear. He says, I want you to understand that great men are not always wise. And also, do they, no, do the age always understand justice? But there is a spirit in man. And that spirit gives man understanding. Hallelujah. So every generation needs a people who can understand the times and what needs to be done in light of the times that they are living in. But in every generation, you're going to find people who are older and you're also going to find people that are young. And Paul one time spoke to our friend Timothy, says, let no man despise your youth. Hallelujah. Why? Because there is a spirit in man and this spirit gives man understanding. Hallelujah. Therefore, let no one despise your youth. Be thou an example to the believers in word, in faith, in love, and in all those things that eventually our good friend Paul tells Timothy. And I want you to understand the reason why is because there is a spirit in man and this spirit gives man understanding. Hallelujah. In spite of any generation. And when we talk about understanding, we're not talking about just simply understanding the Bible. 
as crucial as that it is. But it's actually knowing how to apply the truths that are in God's word to the issues of our day. We should be able to come up and say like, the season we are living in, the time we are living in, what does the word of God say in line with the times that we are living in? Hallelujah. Because that is the truth. We need to be able to ask ourselves, why is it that in our generation, people think the way they think? Because sometimes you can just look at things that are going on and think that it is. That's how things are supposed to do, to be and, and that's how things are supposed to be done. But I want to submit to you that there is one truth and one truth only. And that truth is the word of God. And it has gone from generation to generation to generation. And the Bible is very, very clear. The rock of ages. He is the patient. Hallelujah. So let's look a little bit about the children of Issachar before we come to what we want to look at. What happens is the first time we are introduced to the children of Issachar is actually in Genesis chapter 30 verse 18. And we are building the case of understanding. There is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the almighty, the breath of the almighty gives this man understanding. So we are first introduced to the children of Issachar in Genesis chapter 30 verse 18. And it's very interesting when you read about the children of Issachar because the children, Issachar was a son of Jacob and he was a thief born in the family of Jacob. And actually he was a son of Leah the wife who was not loved by Jacob. The one that he felt Mr. Laban had duped him. And therefore, he had a love of his life. Her name was Rachel. And, and, and the Bible is, is very clear, which is another thing. I know I've said it before. But actually, I get intrigued that even when we talk about the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah was not from Rachel, Actually, Judah was from Leah. And today, we are being introduced another son. And the son we are being introduced today is called Issachar. And this one again is from Leah and it's not from Rachel. Hallelujah. And, and that's, that's for another day. But let's, let's dwell first on the children of Issachar. So the Bible says, and it was a very interesting situation in the way that even Issachar was conceived. Because for a time after Jacob now has married uh, Rachel and, and, and is there and things are going on between these two sisters, as we understand, there was a day when, uh, when, when Leah basically says that she had to give wages in order to get her husband. So let's, let's go to Genesis chapter 30. Let's go to Genesis chapter we want to pray with understanding. Amen. Genesis chapter 3. Chapter 30. Chapter 30. Uh, I want to, to begin from uh, uh, I don't want to begin from let, let's begin from because Reuben is also concerned in his issue. So in verse 14, the Bible says, now Reuben, Reuben is the son of who? It, we are in class now. Reuben was the son of who? Leah. And Reuben was the firstborn. Are we together? Now, it says, now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah then Rachel said to Leah please give me some of your son's mandrakes but she said to her this is now Leah responding to Rachel is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband 
would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come in to me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes and he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Hallelujah. So, so, so now we, we, are, we are getting there and, and we are taught Okay, here is now Issachar. Issachar is born and is the son, is the fifth son of, of Jacob. But the way he is coming in, he is coming in on the basis of Leah buying, paying some wages in order for Jacob to perform his husband's duties for that night. And she, she's been abandoned. Actually, sometimes when I think about Leah, I go like, she must have been a very, very strong woman. Because when you look at the rejection, the, the, the amount of rejection she faced, and yet this, the Son of God comes from her lineage. No wonder Christ was rejected. I think the great, great grandmother someday was rejected also. So if you are rejected, won't be surprised in life, because even our master, our savior, one time was rejected. But out of rejection, can come a divine appointment with God. Amen. So, that's the first time we are introduced to the children of Issachar. The, the circumstances of their birth are actually out of hiring. If, if, if Leah didn't hire the husband for that night, today we wouldn't be talking about a group of people that had an understanding of the seasons and the times that they were living in and were able to tell people, this is the season we are living in and this is what we need to be doing in this season. That's why the circumstances of our birth, they do not in any way stand in the way of what God will do in our lives. They may not be the best circumstances, but you know what? God uses the rejects of society. So there are four characteristics that define the children of Israel. Let's carry on in Genesis chapter 49. Jacob is now about to die. And, and if you recall, the other Sunday I said, you need to become a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, that you can be declaring things to come to pass in the lives of your children. Amen. There's, there's never a parent. Maybe there's some parents in here. Do not wish well for their children. I think almost every parent wants their children to do well in life. Amen. So, here is Jacob, and Jacob is passing on the last words to his sons. And he has said some things about Reuben. He has said some things about Simeon. He has said some things about all the others. And now he comes, and he even talks, says some things about Judah. But as we come to verse 14, there is a very interesting piece of scripture. The Bible says, this is now what Jacob is declaring about Issachar. And he says, Issachar is a strong-boned donkey lying between two saddlebags. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. He leaned his shoulder to bear a burden and became a forced laborer. And, 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 and I found that to be very, very interesting that, that Jacob is talking about Issachar and he says, Issachar, you are a strong-boned donkey. And, and the reason why he's saying he's a strong-born donkey, you carry on later on, he's talking about he saw a resting place, the resting place was good, and the land was pleasant, and then he says he leaned his shoulder to bear a burden. So when you look actually about the children of Issachar, children of Issachar were burden bearers. 
They were burden bearers. They were not just strong, but they were burden bearers. They were able to bear the burdens of their people. And I actually begin to think that the reason why God made them to become a people of understanding is because they were able to bear the burdens. They were able to bear the burdens of their families, the burdens of their society, the burdens of their land, the burdens of everything else that was going on. And they could not be able to bear the burden if they were not strong and if they were not as strong as a donkey. Hallelujah. And when you check in the Bible, interestingly, you actually find that some great events in the Bible took place in the presence of a donkey or with a donkey. Hallelujah. And then the donkey is not uh, as highly lifted up as a horse. If, if there was a horse and a donkey and you ask a child, which one do you want? They are they would rather go for the horse. They will not go for the donkey. But I want to show you a few things whereby the donkey came in and why, why, why they, I, I'm, I'm marvel about the children of Issachar. Let's go to Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15, verse 15 to 16. You actually see something very, very interesting there about Samson. But we are building it all towards the children of Issachar. There was a day when Samson uh, goes to Timnah and then they take away his wife and, uh, and, and then after they take away his wife, he gets some foxes, he paints people's fields and all that and they begin to ask who has done this and they say Samson and then they ask Samson, why did you do it? No, they took away my wife and that's why I did this. And then later on, the wife and, uh, and, and, and the, the, the father, they are killed. And then later on, Samson goes like, I'm going to fight you and I'm going to kill you. And he uses a weapon. It's very interesting that the weapon that he had to use was the jawbone of a donkey. So, Judges chapter 15, the Bible says, he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. So we actually see that even the jawbone of a donkey, one day was a weapon of all. And when when Jacob was talking about the children of Issachar and he said you are a strong born donkey he knew that they will stand things and no man will be able to prevail against them all the days of their lives they were strong people they were better bearers hallelujah again you find the donkey when Abraham was preparing to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis 22 verse 3 the Bible says so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And even the mode of transportation at this time for even Abraham is a donkey. He is using a donkey. Let's go to number 3, Genesis 42, 27. You actually found that even the donkey is part of the pilgrimage that the brothers of Joseph made when they were going to request for food in Egypt or from Egypt. In Genesis 42, 27, but the Bible says, but as one of them opened his sack to, he, to give his donkey feed at the encampment. So even donkeys need to be fed. Hallelujah. They need to be fed. So it says, he, he, to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of a sack. But actually, when you look at all these things, the ones carrying the food are the donkeys. The one carrying Abraham and, and his son as Isaac, as they go to sacrifice, is a donkey. When Samson goes to battle, the one that he uses as a weapon of all is a, is a jawbone of a donkey. The donkey, one more time was with Moses and his family during their trip back to Egypt to deliver the people from their bondage. So even as they are going back to deliver the people, the one that Moses is using is a donkey. In Exodus chapter 4.20, says the Bible says, Then Moses took his wife and his sons and set them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. 
And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. So even as he's going back to Egypt to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. God is saying, let my people go. And the mode of transportation, the one that he's using as a burden bearer is a donkey. Hallelujah. Let's go to Luke chapter 19, verse 29 to 38. As lowly as the donkey was, the donkey had the greatest privilege of all to bear on his back the Son of God. As the Son of God entered triumphantly into Jerusalem just one week before crucifixion. Again the donkey shows up. In, in verse 29 the Bible says, And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, the very same mountain that he rose up, he, he, he went into heaven. And the very same mountain that he's going to come down one day, the Bible says that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you. Whereas you enter, you will find a court. A court is, is, a, is a donkey, it's a small donkey. It says you find it tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Then thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. And somebody this morning, the Lord is saying, I have need of you. I need you to bear my, the burdens for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said, he had said to them. But as they were loosing the court, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the court? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their own clothes on the court. And they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And in the midst of all this is the donkey. Hallelujah. I believe God is trying to raise a group of people like the sons of Issachar that are going through faith and through prayer become the burden bearers, not just of their family, but the burden bearers of their workplace, the burden bearers of their family, the burden bearers of their tribe, the burden bearers of their nation, the burden bearers of the kingdom of God, that they are not going to rest and they are going to say until we see the kingdom of God established, we are not going to rest because we are the strength of the donkey. We are going to bend the we are going to bear the bearers and we are going to move on and the Lord is going to make us strong because the Bible says they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall fly like eagles. Amen. The donkey. And the Bible says here comes in. And as you begin to look at all these things in each one of these situations the donkey is used as a bed in there. And that was the tribe of Issachar. Those were the children of Issachar. Number two, the children of Issachar were not just burden bearers. The children of Issachar were soldiers. They were able to go to war. They were not afraid of any war. And I want to tell you this, prayer is warfare. Hallelujah. Prayer is warfare. In prayer, we bear the burdens of other people. Sometimes things are going on okay for you. But then you begin to stand in the gap. You say, as far as this issue is concerned, concerning brother so-so, concerning sister so-so, concerning our land Malawi, concerning my family, concerning my mother, concerning my father, concerning my tribe, Lord, I am going to stand in the gap and I'm going to intercede and I'm going to pray until I see you, God, do something. One time the Lord says, I looked around and I found no intercessor. Prayer changes things. Prayer works. The faith and prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James chapter 5 verse 16. So, and those were the children of Issachar. But they were not just burden bearers. They were soldiers. They were ready to go to war. In Numbers chapter 128, the Bible says, From the children of Issachar, their genealogies by their families, by their father's house, according to the number of names, from 20 years old and above, 
all who were able to go to war. You know what? When we say, church, come, let us pray. We are calling you for prayer. And I pray that you will rise up like a children of Issachar. Like the children of Issachar and say, because they have called us for prayer, we are ready to go for prayer. We are ready to go to war. Onward, Christian soldiers marching us to war. Hallelujah. And the Bible says a few things about a good soldier. And I believe these things are said about the children of Issachar. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, the Bible says, You must endure, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's very, very hard for you to endure hardship without strength from the Lord. Hallelujah. It's very, very hard for you to be, to be a burden bearer, to be strong, and to be able to go to war without the strength of the Lord. So the children of Issachar were a group of people that were ready to endure hardness. They were ready to endure hardness. Number two, the, as you carry on in verse four, it says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And you and I have been enlisted in the kingdom of God by God himself. He says, whilst we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And we were saved to serve. We did not come into the kingdom of God just to warm the benches. We came into the kingdom of God to witness, to bring people to Christ. So that whenever we see somebody who is not served, it touches us so much that we say, Lord, I will intercede. If I cannot get close to them, I will intercede that at some point, someday, they will come face to face with the man of the cross. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. If you are busy entangling yourself with the affairs of this life, you cannot become like the children of Issachar. You need to be able to go like these issues. No, 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 no. And people ask you, why are you not concerned about these issues, the affairs of life? You can say like, because I am a soldier enlisted in the army of God and it is my desire to please him. So, good soldiers, number one, endure hardness. You look at any soldier, you look at any soldier, one time I was complaining about the Christians. Sometimes they take them, in, uh, the, the clip I watched, they literally took these guys, and if I'm not wrong, the place I think it was called Tabuka, or something like that, and they put them into a water, mud, slums, and they And as they are there in mud, they are taking on the mud. It's very, very cold. And the clip I watched that day, they needed to be in that mud for over 24 hours. And they were told one simple thing. You cannot sing, you cannot say anything else. But these guys began to sing. And as they began to sing, they were threatened that they would stay in that mud for more than 30 hours. But they continue to sing. And they continue to sing. And they continue to sing the whole night. And, and, I, and I begin to think about that. That's very likely what happened to Paul and Silas. That and they are in prison. They discovered they had, they had to go into sing. You know sometimes when you come into prayer. When prayer becomes hard. Sometimes you just begin to flow into singing. You just begin to flow into singing. And sometimes as you begin to flow into singing, all of a sudden you find that you begin to worship God. And as you begin to worship God, you, God begins to give you a breakthrough. And the Bible says you cannot do these things if you entangle yourselves with the affairs of this world. Hallelujah. So the children of Issachar, they were kind of people that did not want to entangle themselves with the affairs of this world. They endured hardness. And why? Number three, a good soldier pleases him who chose him. The Bible says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And I pray for you, may you live your life pleasing God. 
May that be your desire in life and say, Lord, I desire not to please man. I do not, I desire not to please anyone else, but it's you and me and me only. And that's what made the children of Issachar. Hebrews 11, 6 says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that is a reward of them that diligently seek Jehovah. Hallelujah. And today, we will pray and say, Lord, I want to serve you. Uh, Pastor Matthew says there are two kinds of people in your church. There are pillars and there are caterpillars. And I pray that you can say, Lord, I want to be a pillar in the kingdom of God. And the way to be a pillar in the kingdom of God, you have to be a burden bearer. You have to be a soldier. You have to be somebody else who say, Lord, I'm ready to endure hardness. Lord, I am ready. I'm ready not to entangle myself in the affairs of this world because I have one desire and one desire alone to please you, my master. To please you, my master. And when you begin to get to that level, I can tell you, you are not going to begin, people are not going to begin to sweat with you to make you live for the Lord. Because you understand the mission. You understand what God has called you to. But the other thing about the children of Issachar, in First Chronicles chapter 7, verse 5, the Bible says, Now they are brethren, among all the families of Issachar were mighty men of valor. The very same words were said one time to Gideon. Hallelujah. You mighty man of valor. Listed by their genealogies. 87,000 in all. Can you believe that? 87,000. And, and the Bible says they were mighty men of valor. What does that mean? It means that they were valiant men. They were brave. They were courageous. They were fierce. They were steadfast. And it's very, very hard for you to be an intercessor, to be somebody else who stands in the gap, to be somebody else who's a burden bearer, to be somebody else who is ready to go to war, to be somebody else who is able to endure hardness, to be someone else who is ready to please the Lord if you're not courageous. In the world we live in today, if you want to live as a soldier of the Lord, you better be a courageous person. Living our faith requires courage. Hallelujah. Raising children to walk in the Lord in this generation requires courage. Living for Christ in our workplaces requires courage. A lot of the things, they require courage. And mighty men of valor, a few things about mighty men of valor, now five things about mighty men of valor. If you desire to become a mighty woman of valor, if you, become to, if you desire to become a mighty man of valor, number one is that mighty men of valor, mighty women of valor, go beyond the ordinary. Hallelujah. They go beyond the ordinary. They are not satisfied with the status quo. Those of us who came for prayer yesterday, I was, I was, I was sharing from First Chronicles chapter, chapter, chapter 4 about Jabez. And I said, if there was a book in the Bible that I didn't enjoy reading, was First Chronicles. Because it's about Amos gave birth to Lydon. Lydon gave birth to Sunganan. Sunganan gave birth to Duncan. Duncan gave birth to uh, Abel. Abel gave birth to this one. Abel, uh, Abel gave birth to Mike. Mike gave birth to Roy. And we're like, you want us to waste our time reading about it. But then I did something else. You know, I began to count. I began to count the names, the names, the names until I got tired. There were over 600. This gave birth to that. That gave birth to that. That gave birth to that. That gave birth to that. Birth to that. There were over 600. And then I got tired. But then there's something very interesting. That of all more than 600 people mentioned as you begin to read First Chronicles chapter 1 and you carry on and you carry on and you carry on. There's something very, very interesting. That of all those people, there's only one single man that is singled out. And the Bible says he was more honorable than anyone else. And the thing that makes him to be more honorable than anyone else, there are three things about him. He had great ambition. He had great faith and he had great prayer. That one day he was told, you were born in pain. So he said, aha, now I understand. And he comes before the Lord. He says, Lord, 
Now, bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. Let your hand be upon my life. Amen? And, and the man is called Jabez. Jabez did not accept the ordinary. The children of Issachar never accepted the ordinary. And because Jabez never accepted the ordinary, the Bible says he was more honorable than anyone else. And he's mentioned, act, he has at least the man is Google. He has got a few verses for him. In a, in a whole part of scripture whereby they are just saying, Amos gave birth to Lighton. Lighton gave birth to Sunga. Sunga birth to Duncan. Duncan to Abel. Abel to Roy. Roy to Mike. Mike to Chikondi. All these other ones. Can you not be like Jabez? That wants other people and say, do you know Amos? Ah, no, he doesn't have a verse. Do you know Sungana? He doesn't have a verse. Do you know Mike? He doesn't have a verse. But do you know Mike? I go, hey, that one. He prayed to God now. You bless me indeed. Enlarge my territory. Let your hand be upon my life. Lord, I don't want to cause pain. And, and it's amazing that as you carry on to verse 10, it says, and therefore God granted him what he had requested. You know where he requested it from? In prayer. Amid this, everything that he had been taught, Jabez, things don't work. He says, no, 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 I am going to pray. And they ask him, he says, I'm going to pray. And I want you to know, mighty men of valor, courageous people, brave people, varying people, fearless people, they don't accept the ordinary. They go beyond the ordinary. Number two, they are not self-serving. They are not about me, myself, and I. That's why they are burden bearers. They, it's not about them. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about people. It's about God moving, doing mighty things in our generation. And they are not addicted to mediocrity. Any place whereby you are going to find people and they have accepted mediocrity, just understand they are not mighty men of valor. Because not accepting mediocrity makes you have to be fearless. You have to be brave. You have to be courageous. You have to be courageous. Hallelujah. Mighty men of valor, they go out of their way to do what they ought to do and what can be done. There are not people who pick and say like, oh no, uh, for instance in church, we need, to, we need to be doing this. Why don't we do this in church? Why don't we do this in church? Mighty men of valor, they rise up, they see a need and they meet it. They look at something else that needs to be done and they do it. And they look at that and then it's done. And it's done. And it's done. And a movement of God begins to get built because these mighty men of valor, these brave people, these courageous people, these fearless people, they want to see the kingdom of God extended. If you are one of those who keep on pointing that and pointing that and pointing that, just know today you're not a child of Isaac. Hallelujah. They don't accept mediocrity. They go out of their way to see things done. And they are not addicted to casual Christianity. They are not addicted to that. They are ready to suffer persecution. They are ready to go through anything else. For one thing and one thing alone, they want to please him who called them. Hallelujah. Finally, number four. The Bible says, the children of Issachar understood the times. The children of Issachar understood the times. So let's go back to First Chronicles and then we'll stand up and then we'll pray. Because I want you to pray today. I want you to pray today and say, Lord, make me a pillar and not a caterpillar. Somebody say that. Hallelujah. Amen. Make me a pillar, God, in the kingdom of God. I want to see the kingdom of God extended. So now the Bible, let's, let's quickly read this. The Bible says in verse 23 of 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David in Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord of the sons of Judah bearing shield and spear 6,800 armed for war of the sons of Simeon mighty men of valor fit for war 7,100 of the sons of Levi 4,600 Jehoiada, the leader of the Aaronites, and with him 3,700. 
Zadok, a young man, a variant warrior, and from his father's house, 22 captains. I think this is where Uncle Martin got the name. Of the sons of Benjamin, relatives of Saul, 3,000. Until then, the greatest part of them had remained loyal to the house of Saul. Of the sons of Ephraim, 20,800. Mighty men of Vela, famous men throughout their father's house. Of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, who were designated by name to come and make David king. Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. Of Zebrun, there were 50,000 who went out to battle, experts in war, with all weapons of war. Stout-hearted men who could keep ranks of Naphtali, 1,000 captains, and with them 37,000 with shield and spear. Of the Danites who could keep battle formation, 28,600. Of Asher, those who could go out to war, able to keep battle formation, 40,000. Of the Reubenites and of the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh, from the other side of the Jordan, 120,000 armed for battle with every kind of weapon of war. All these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. And they were, and they were there with David three days, eating and drinking. For their brethren had prepared for them. Moreover, those who were near to them from as far away as Issachar and Zebron and Naphtali were bringing food on donkeys. You see the donkey again? And camels on mules and oxen. Provisions of flour and cakes of figs and cakes of raisins, wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly. For there was joy in Israel. Hallelujah. Now, what is amazing in all these things? You read about all these things about variant men, mighty men of, mighty men of Vela, able to keep battle formation, able to keep ranks. But of the children of Issachar, in addition to all these things, the Bible says they understood the times. They were mighty men of Vela. They were courageous. They were, they were fearless. They were ready to go into war at any time. But amazingly, amazingly, the Bible tells us one thing. They understood the times. They understood the times. And of all the qualities of the children of Israel, this one stood out. I want to share three things and then we pray. Number one, the Bible says they understood the times in which they lived. If we don't understand our culture and the pressures that this culture brings on us, we'll become a slave. We'll become a slave. We need to be able to say, this is our culture. This is the way we live. This one, how does it tie with the word of God? I will tell you one thing. The culture we live in right now is anti-God. A lot of things you see, they are anti-God. Homosexuality is anti-God. Lesbianism is anti-God. Hallelujah. A lot of these things that are going on around us, they are anti-God. A lot of it. Actually, what I just said right now, if I was in some country, maybe by now I'd have been arrested. That I'm saying, there's a word they use it, minority rights. I'm an, I'm, 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 what do you call it? Antisocial. They're nice words. But you know what? Sin has to be called what it is. The God we serve is a gracious God. He's able to forgive. But people cannot be served when we are busy massaging them and yet they are living in sin. Sin has to be gone. People need to be told, your sin will find you out. But the grace of God is, is, is there for you to be served. Our society is losing the war in terms of morality. It's so easy these days that people who are not married, they begin to live together. Recently, I read a story of somebody who had lived with somebody else for so many years. They had so many children, and they were only applying to get married. Yes. Hallelujah. If 
people that will talk about the kingdom. You'll not be a big deal. You'll not be strong in the kingdom of God. You cannot compromise skills. Compromise skills. So, and, and that's what's happening. The moments we are living in, they are more and more godless. Those who have to stand for the Lord, they have to go through things. But they are ready because they want to please him. Number two, the Bible says, these children of Issachar, they understood the times. Because you know what? Apart from understanding the times, they understood the scripture. That's my number two. Because the Bible says, understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. And I believe that the, the, the info that they had was what had happened before. And in order to understand the times, you have to be able to differentiate between the truth and tradition. And unfortunately for us as believers, sometimes we easily get entangled with tradition. And sometimes even believers, for you to move them from tradition to do what the word of God say, they can slap you now. Tradition becomes very, very highly lifted compared to what the word of God says. But the children of Issachar knew what the scriptures wanted for Israel. And if we don't know the Bible, we can't focus our life on God's word. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read, you shall meditate in it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you make your way prosperous, and you will be successful. In John chapter 14, 26, the Bible says, But when the Father sends the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, as my representative, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So those were the children of Issachar, grounded in scripture. I tell you, go for CHF, you don't want to go. How are you going to build people grounded? How are you going to become strong? How are you going to become like the children of Issachar? Number three, they knew, they understood what needed to be done. The men of Issachar not, not only understood what God was doing, but they knew how to respond to what God was doing. And God spoke to us on Wednesday. He spoke to us and says, make room for the new. So God is basically saying, I'm doing a new thing. And I love it the way it says in Isaiah 43. Shall you not know it? But you know what? When God is doing a new thing, some other people can actually think, oh, the minutes my career has this. This is how it has always been. And yet God is doing a new thing. And because they knew what God was doing, they had a plan. People who know what God is doing, they have a plan, they can understand times, and even understand what the Bible says. But even after you understand what the Bible says, even if you understand the times, if you do not act upon what you understand, things will continue to be the way they used to be. Everything about faith there's a bit of madness in faith. For you to do what God wants you to do, some people can call you mad. You think, if you think it was easy for Abraham when he says, leave your country, leave your family, go to a land, I will show you. Where God, I will show you. Where is the land? I don't know. I will show you. So, most now we are leaving. Where are you going to be going? So, why are you leaving? God has said, who is God? What has he said? He has said that we should leave. We go where? To the land. Where is the land? He, he says it flows with milk and honey. But where is the land? I don't know. He says when we get to the land, he will tell us it's here. So when you live here, which way are you going to go? Are you going to go towards Jimpangu or towards Tama? I don't know. Oh, all he has said is that I shall hear a, a word in my ear saying, this is the way what he needs whenever I turn to the left or I turn to the right. So how are you going to be sure that he has spoken? I don't know. 
faith sometimes to do things that God wants you to do. There has to be some degree of madness. People can actually think you are insane. But it's only when you act on what God has spoken into your life, God honors his word. Hallelujah. People of understanding are able to respond appropriately to the circumstances that surround them. And understanding the times causes us to action, not to fear, not to expect. Isaiah 41 says, fear not for I am with you. And it's time to demonstrate complete trust in God, complete confidence in God, in order for us to be victorious. That was the early church. And one day Paul praying for the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 3, 16, he says, I pray that from the, his glorious unlimited resources, he'll empower you with inner strength through his spirit. New King James Version says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Hallelujah. Somebody say, Lord, strengthen me. I want to be a pillar and not a caterpillar in the kingdom of God. Let's all stand up. Let's all stand up. I want us to pray for some 14 minutes. Let's just all stand up. Just say, Heavenly Father, I came into your house this morning. As we continue to talk about authority of prayer and faith.